podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the Gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. We'll get ready to see what the Lord has for us. Always remember, the Holy Spirit is here and life-changing things can happen when your soul and the Spirit who made your soul come together and have an encounter. That soul is going to leave different. Amen? Father God, now we look to you for that very thing. How pathetic it would be is to come to church and hear the word of God and leave the same way as we came in. We want to leave with more faith, with more clarity, with more understanding, with more power to say no to the things that once bound us, to know your heart of love in greater and greater ways, to have more of a resolve to walk with God and not compromise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is one. To most of you, that's no big surprise, sad but true. You got your fake Gucci bags, you got phony Rolex watches, you got counterfeit $100 bills, and you have counterfeit conversions as well. This morning in our passage here in Acts chapter 8, we pick up the gospels coming to Samaria. You're going to meet one of these converts, but he's the poster child of what it means to be a bogus believer. There are conversions that are not really conversions because they fail the litmus test. If I read the definition of what conversion means, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. Conversion, the process of being changed from one thing to another thing. So after your profession of faith and your baptism, that there's no substantive, tangible, quantifiable, moral change at all that takes place in how we think, we speak, we act then there was no conversion. And if there's no conversion, there's no salvation. No matter how you protest and all your fervent words and claims, it just doesn't matter. Because anyone, First John, he just lays it out. He says, if you claim to be a Christian and that you know Christ, yet walk in darkness, you lie even to yourself and not practicing the truth. And so, yeah, this morning we're going to meet somebody like that. 
sounded great. He had all the right words. And, you know, his lips were proclaiming Christ, but his life was saying something totally different. And so, yes, actually, it's a very encouraging passage. Because when the Bible exposes what's false and fake, it also is revealing what's genuine and true. And we who have authentic faith, we always walk away reassured and at peace. And then rightly warned that not everything that glitters in a Christian testimony is necessarily gold. There's something called fool's gold. And Simon the sorcerer, he's got a big chunk, as we're going to see here today in chapter 8. As I've said, a little context now here. Um, Luke reports uh, that phase one of the gospel, uh, evangelizing Jerusalem, check, it's finished. Jerusalem has been saturated with the gospel. There's a mega church there. It's time for them to move out, as the Lord told them in chapter one and verse eight, expand into Judea and Samaria. But they were dragging their heels, and God used a very surprising method to get them to obey. He allowed a fierce persecution, and that scattered the Christians into the very areas that he wanted them to go in the first place. And what did they do when they got there? They're preaching the gospel. And one of those who was scattered to the wrong side of the track, Samaria, where there'd been a 700-year-long feud. Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And it had been like that for almost a thousand years. And yet, Philip starts to preach the gospel. Our deacon, our second deacon, there of seven in the church, got scattered to the seedy side of town, Samaria, and he starts getting busy preaching the good news. And uh, spiritual fireworks are happening because God is gracious. He accompanies his message with mighty miracles, especially in those days when they didn't have a Bible. Like, uh, you know, these are crazy words that God came down, wrapped himself in human flesh, died on a cross for our sins, man. And then, boom, there were healings and exorcisms which brought credibility to the message. You can trust this message with your soul. And so that's what's going on there. And many are turning uh, in Samaria to the Lord, even the local fortune teller, famous for his occultic powers. He gets swept up in all the emotion and all of this, and the gospel net snags him up too. And it's recorded, Simon the sorcerer, quote, believed and was baptized. But what kind of faith does Simon have? Because faith comes in a variety of sorts. There's the saving kind, and there's the kind that cannot save you. So was it the real deal, genuine or fake? Simon's post-conversion behavior will help answer the question for you. Because Jesus said, you'll know the kind of tree it is by the kind of fruit you find on its branches. So if you're wondering, hmm, what kind of tree is that? And it produces an orange, guess what? You know it's an orange tree. And so when you see a tree like a person and say, I wonder what kind of person that is. Is it a believing person or an unbelieving person? You don't go by the words. Oh, no, 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 no. 
You go by what? The fruit on the life, the behavior that's coming from the heart will show you if it's a believing tree or just says it is. And so let's take a look here. We'll back up one paragraph just for context, and then we'll dive in and move forward. Verse 4, those have been scattered from Jerusalem into Samaria, preached the word wherever they went. That's what we do. Verse 5, Philip, our deacon who works in the food pantry in Jerusalem, Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem, as I like to call it, Philip goes down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Yeah, for shrieks of unclean evil spirits are coming out of many, many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Yeah, I'll say now moving forward, verse 9, Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. That's a big sentence. He boasted that he was someone great and that, there it is again, all the people, both high and low, gave gave him their attention and exclaimed, this guy's the real deal, the divine power known as the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them with uh, his magic tricks for a long time. So, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as opposed to Simon, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and not himself, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere. Look what he's after. Astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem, it's kind of like the acting mother church shall become, heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. The Samaritans are Christians? What? They sent Peter and John to inspect them to make sure everything was kosher. Of sorts. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> Verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for them. And here's a very intriguing, uh, commentators say, the most intriguing, mysterious passage in the book of Acts. That they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus without his manifestations. And he does that for a very beautiful reason. Verse 17, that Peter and John placed their hands on the Samaritans and they received the Holy Spirit in some kind of evidence, maybe like Pentecost with tongues or gifts of the Holy Spirit. Boom. It was obvious. Wow, they're saved. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit of God. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part 
or share in this ministry because your heart's not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. That's what you tell someone before they say they're a believer. Before they're baptized, you tell them, repent, believe, and be baptized. You don't tell them, that's not what I say when I bring somebody up out of the water. I don't say, repent of your wickedness, man. Pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart springing up for, from such evil. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. This is not looking good. Verse 24. Then Simon answered, You pray to the Lord for me, so nothing you have said will happen to me. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel as they went through many Samaritan villages. There you have it. Our passage. Intriguing, isn't it? A little troubling. It's always troubling because, uh, you know, when you hear somebody say, hey, I found the Lord and I got baptized, you're like, praise God, right? You don't want to think that it's not true and that you're being deceived or they themselves are being deceived. But it's possible. It's just possible. And it's good to know so that you can look in your own heart. Am I more like Simon? Or do I have some evidence of some moral change? Something's happening in me. No, are you perfect overnight? Of course not. Even Paul the Apostle said it. Do you think I've arrived? No. I just keep pressing forward. Does it happen overnight? No. But I am maybe not all that I should be today, but I am certainly not who I used to be. You need to be able to say that for the sake of your own soul. Am I playing the game? Am I saying the words? Am I going through the motions? And I'm lost. And on that great day, the Lord will say, who are you? We've never met. And have that person say, what do you mean? I did this and that and the other thing. And he says, well, we've never met. It never happened in your heart. That's the beauty of passages like these, as, uh, as uncomfortable as they may be. So thumbnail sketch here reveals God up to his usual search and rescue because he loves us and doesn't want anyone to perish. If anyone perishes, he will have to say, your will be done. Certainly not my will. Because I will that you came to the knowledge of the truth and turned That's what repentance means. And so Philip, he's using Philip to broadcast the message showing people the way out of eternal judgment and the way into everlasting life. Jesus died for our sins that whoever believes in him lives forever. Not rocket science. Pretty easy. Yes or no. So God graciously, as I mentioned, provided the miracle signs and wonders uh, so that these Samaritans would be helped to believe that they could entrust their eternal souls to this message and this Savior. And the crowds are amazed, and so is Simon. And Simon's no stranger to power, albeit the, the dark kind, right? But he's drawn to Philip and that power that he must understand outshines his own sorcery. He professes faith, check. He's dunked in the water, check. But when he, when he comes up, it seems that it's the same old sinful, self-absorbed Simon. What went wrong? 
Well, let's walk through like we always do. And we'll get some insights from the Holy Spirit. So verses 9 through 11, now staring at you, let's meet the self-proclaimed power of God. That's what he called himself. Wow. So let me paraphrase. We've already read through it. Verse 9, but is a better translation. The word in the Greek can mean now or but. And I think but is better because he'd been describing all the beautiful works God is doing but now you got a guy like Simon. He's, he's going to be some trouble. So, but now, in the midst of this wonderful work of God, uh, there was this guy named Simon who for quite some time had been blowing people away with his magic arts. He claimed to be someone extraordinary. Look at me, I'm so great. Verse 10, no matter who you were, little kid or grown up, Everyone was just wowed and in agreement, wow, that he is the power of God. Verse 11, he had impressed, he had an, uh, an impressive following uh, because his occultic practices uh, over them was kind of like spellbinding, uh, a spellbinding effect on them. So, yeah, so note takers, you could say here we got Simon practicing sorcery. Let's talk about it. The occult. The occult comes from the Latin, which means hidden or secret, meaning the occultist is revealing something that you couldn't know that's secret to you, but he knows it or she knows it, right? And um, better understanding of what the hidden meaning is all about is the source of their magic is what's hidden because the source of their power is, of course, Satan, who disguises himself so that nobody knows that the great power is not of God, but of the devil. And so Samaria is a dark place. They've got a, a demon. Uh, it's a demon-infested place, uh, and many occultic practices there. Uh, verse 7 earlier was uh, with shrieks. Evil spirits are coming out of many. So th these are the demons that didn't quite leave uh, Simon after his profession of faith. Uh, but they were certainly working in Simon and through Simon. And that's uh, he was the real deal. In other words, he wasn't a quack like most clairvoyants or psychics. Clairvoyant from the French to see clearly, to perceive clearly what others can't see, of course. And so, yeah, Simon's not just some cheesy charlatan looking for a quick buck, preying on the vulnerable. Otherwise, look at your verses. Verse 9, the whole region wouldn't be duly impressed. Verse 10, young and old alike would not have found his divine claim credible if he wasn't doing some real stuff. They gave heed to him as the great power, verse 11, and they wouldn't have followed him. Who would follow somebody you think is a whack job? You know, he's a nut job. Oh, no, no. There was something of substance happening there because he had a direct line to the devil. And it's all of that stuff. Tarot cards and palm reading and fortune telling and mediums. Who? Oh, it's a medium. A medium. If we got low, medium, and high, all right. <laughs> like the temperature in the room. 
That's how it goes, actually. That's how I thought of this, right? Low, medium. Medium is you're in the middle of one thing and the other. And so a medium says, I'm in between you, the living, and you, whoops, <laughs> yeah, the not so living, the departed, shall we go. <laughs> you get it. They're the medium. They're the intermediary, right? So if you want to talk to grandpa about something, I can contact him. No, you can't. The Bible says they're not around. You go north or south and you stay there. That's it. Forever. There's no crossing back and forth. There's no coming down to help you and guide you. There's none of that. The Lord does that. But the departed depart. That's what they do. So, you know, you need more than smoke and mirrors like the guys in Vegas to sustain crowds like this. And so, yeah, he had fire behind his smoke, and it was fire from hell itself. And so, yeah, Satan is not the opposite of God, please. He's a demon. He's one solitary demon. And Isaiah prophesies this. When people see him, they're going to go, what? That's him? He took down the whole earth? Are you kidding me? He's unimpressive. He's like, you know, peacocks are impressive. You pluck them, they're nasty. <laughs> and God is going to pluck that peacock. And that peacock's going to be standing there without any clothes on. And we're going to be like, ew. We're going to be, how did I ever fall for any of that? Right? <laughs> so I'm glad you guys are easy today. I mean, I just have to hold my hand up and you're in stitches. What? <laughs> What's wrong with you? All right, so, yeah. So here's, here's the devil's thing. He wants the worship only God deserves. Oh, that's what turned him from Lucifer, the light bearer, to the adversary, Satan, in the Hebrew. His lust to raise his I quote, raise his throne above the throne of God. Y'all want to worship God, worship me instead. And to the son of God, he tempts him by saying, listen, I got a lot of power here. I can make things easy for you. I just want you to please bow down and worship me, please. It's the only one I've ever wanted. Oh, and so what he does is he he finds men like him who want the praise and adoration that only God deserves, and they team up, Satan and the, I was going to say psycho, (laughs) and the psychic, the psychic and Satan team up together, and they both get what they want. Ooh, look at me, look at me, worship me, look at me, look to me, not to the Lord. I've got all the answers. I can see into the future. I know all about you. I can predict your destiny. I can unravel all your issues, solve your mysteries. You want to contact your father who passed? I'm your man. So we were at the Sonoma County Fair, and I was feeling a little mischievous (laughs) and a little grieved as I walked by the various booths. So I wrote down a scripture on my hand about the destiny of fortune tellers in the Bible. And then I went into the fortune teller's booth. (laughs) You're getting ahead of me. 
and I said, can you read my palm? <laughs> and she said, what's that? And I said, the scripture from the Bible that condemns what you're doing, fortune telling, when only God knows the future. As she said, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to pour this hot coffee on you. <laughs> I, I said, bye. <laughs> so I left, but I used this hand. Bye. <laughs> right? You know what? Yeah, that's really, really sad. Spencer, I got that verse from Isaiah. This is God speaking. I'm God. There's nobody else. I'm God. There's no one even like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. And I do whatever I want. If you need stuff done, come to me because I'll get it done for you and I know what you need, your future. I know all about you. You know what? I even know the dumb stuff. The stuff that doesn't matter. What does it matter if you know every hair on somebody's head except mine? <laughs> what does it matter? He's trying to say, I know the stuff that's insignificant about you that nobody, unless they were obsessed with you, like fanatically crazy about you, they would be counting your hair. Where you lost another one. <laughs> How much more the greater things. And so we look to God. And it's all about the Lord our God. And that's the message Philip brings here, 12 and 13. Now as we speed along. When they believed Philip as opposed to Simon. Do you see that? That's funny, right? And about what Philip's bringing, not himself, but good news about another place, kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus. They were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believes and says he believes and, and was baptized and follows Philip like a little lost puppy, really zoning in on the great signs and miracles. That's what's captivated this guy. So we go from Simon practicing sorcery to Philip preaching the gospel. All right, so yeah. Um, it's all about God. It's all about his kingdom. A lot of pastors on television and want to make a lot, a lot of money and live in castles. It's all about them and their ministry, right? And your job as a Christian is to give, give, give to make that ministry and him rich. And then in turn, promises that will make you all rich too, you see. But that's not the gospel Philip comes to town with. He comes with a gospel that's from him to him, for him, are all things, to him be the glory forever, ever, and ever. We are his servants. He is not our servant. He is the master, and we serve him. And so they're quick to leave Simon and his voodoo, for Philip and the real deal. And wasn't it a great contrast? And wasn't it the reason they, they believed Philip as opposed to Simon? Why? Oh, the countenance is different. The, the purity of the speech, the way he conducts himself when he's not preaching, the godliness, the humility, the self-abasement, the lifting up of Christ, the look on his face when he talks about Jesus. Boom, we're done with the faker. Give us Philip and his Messiah and let us leave um, Simon 
to himself. But Simon doesn't seem to mind at first that everybody's going because he goes too. It's kind of like, well, if I can't beat him, join him kind of uh, mentality. And so, yeah, masses of weary souls are leaving the great power for the greater power, the greatest power. And so, yeah, um, he's preaching to somebody else's honor. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, uh, Spencer, I love this verse. We don't proclaim ourselves. This is not about a personality other than Jesus Christ, who is God himself, as Lord. And we who are we? Servants, that's a low-based word. Slaves. No rights. Nothing attractive about us. In fact, Jesus said, you know what? I don't think of you this way. I think of you as a royal priesthood and sons and daughters of the Most High God. But for you, you you guys should think of yourself as unprofitable servants. Just doing what you're supposed to be doing. No applause for that. You want applause because you're not destroying yourself by committing adultery? Oh, good for you. Look at you. You're not destroying yourself by sinning. And we all want like a reward for that. Look how good I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, it's all about him, not about us at all. So he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. So what's he saying there? As we go back to those verses, he's saying, listen up, Samaria, we've got a God who loves us. He's our Father in heaven. He created us, loves us. He takes care of our daily needs. Look at the birds. Uh, they don't have jobs and he takes care of them. The flowers of the field, don't they have beautiful clothes? Come on. The kingdom of God has got a Father who loves you. You don't have to be anxious about your life. He knits us together in a family where we enjoy his love as brothers and sisters with a shared life. He fills us with love and joy and peace. He gives us contentment and purpose and wisdom to be blessed, working all things out for our good, protecting us from the evil one, enjoying life and waiting for his son from heaven who will rescue us from the coming wrath called Armageddon. He rescues us from that. He takes us out of the way, and then he lets the earth have it. But not before he puts his bride in a safe place called the palace of the Most High God. And then he moves on to the king, and he's all about Jesus. And here's a great summary of what the early Christians were preaching in Philippians chapter 2 because he's preaching Christ. He's like, guys, listen up. Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, he was in very nature God. It was God wrapped into human form. He didn't consider equality with God something to use for his own advantage. Rather, he became a servant, taking the nature of a servant slave, being made in human likeness, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's fully man and fully God. And being found in appearance as a man, even though he's God, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death for you and for me, and suffered and paid for our sins and cried out, it is finished. Even death on a cross of all the ways to die, naked, stripped, crown of thorns, beaten. Therefore God the Father exalted God the Son to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at that name of Jesus every tongue, whether whatever the case, 
whether you lived 6,000 years ago or not, your tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Your knee will bow, whether it's before the throne of sentencing or whether it's in this life and then with the joy of the redeemed. You will confess and you will bow and the Bible just begs you, do it now while there's breath in your body. And so he's saying, you can know this God, you can experience this love, you can be forgiven of your sins, you can go to his heaven, there's a place at the king's table for a guy like you, a gal like you, who, believe it or not, you can live forevermore. So, go back to the verses here, Simon is outgunned, uh, Philip has the word of God. God's voice speaks into the soul that he created. You know what uh, Simon's got? He's got the whispers from hell. (laughs) Philip's got the thunder of heaven. There's no contest, you would think. But people sometimes like the whispers from hell better than the thunderous love and mercy of the Most High. And so... What do we got here? We've got uh, everybody believing, (laughs) a lot of people believing like Simon. So he's saying, I believe. He's in line for baptism. And Philip, what is Philip supposed to say? Philip doesn't see anything outwardly. He may have a funny feeling, but he's going to give him the benefit of the doubt, like every pastor I know, including myself, would do. I could have my questions, but, you know, I see and hear everything that just seems to be in place, and only time will tell. And time will always tell, because you can fake it so long. And then we find out you stay away, you stay fallen, or you come to your senses. So, a helpful hint, like I already alluded to, of where things went wrong for him is... Simon is mesmerized. Look at verse 13. He's mesmerized by Philip, amazed, following Philip around because he says, tell me more about this Jesus. He loves me, even me, because I've repented of sorcery. I used to call on demons. Man, I want to know more about this kingdom of God. How do I get in again? How do I please him? How do I love him? How do I know him better? Oh, no, no, no. No. He wants to add some power to his magic tricks. That's what he wants to do. He's amazed. He's goo-goo over the miracles, but he's unimpressed with the Messiah. And you know what Jesus said about those who just all go crazy about miracles, miracles, miracles? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation does that. Now, what did he mean by We get the wicked part. Why didn't he call them adulterous? Because those who love something other than him are cheating on him. The miracles are the mistress. And God just doesn't do well with rival lovers. He doesn't. He's like, I'm God. I speak. I make planets. I made you. You wouldn't exist. You wouldn't have a heartbeat right now unless I gave it to you. You should love me more than your mom and dad, your son or daughter, or your own life itself because I'm God. Wow, how does it guess doesn't get through to us? You know, we'll put God, we'll put you on the list. We'll put you somewhere high for sure, you know? And he's like, oh, thank you. 
Yikes, right? So, yeah, no. Uh, This is not working out well here. So now maybe you're having a struggle, but it says Pastor Russ, he believed, you know? Listen, James will say, yeah, you know who also believes? The devils. The demons believe. They have good theology, too. They believe in one true God. They got their theological ducks in row. They know all about the Savior. This is Jesus who's telling you the way to be saved. They're saying, Jesus silences them because he doesn't need a letter of recommendation from the devil. But they know exactly who he is. And they're not going to heaven because it's a kind of faith that cannot save. James was talking to people, these kinds of people who say, I used to work at Heald College for eight years. I taught a humanities class. It's one of my classes there. And uh, part of the course talked about religion, which I loved because I got to bring up the gospel. So I'd say, okay, guys, you know I'm a pastor and all of that, but uh, how many of you believe in God? Believe in God. Eight years, same class, most of the hands. 80% of the hands up. And then I explain what believing in God is. And then I ask them, and there's two or three, who are the Christians? Everybody believes in God that you know. Go to Cottingtown Mall, ask, do you believe in God? Yeah. Are you, where do you go to church? Church? What do you, what's your favorite scriptures? What does scripture mean? Yeah, uh, no, no, what they, here's what they mean. I believe there is a God. And the God of the Bible, yeah, sounds like probably him. And I want to be basically a good Christian moral person. But they don't know Christ. They believe there is a God. They don't believe and trust their life into God, onto God, onto Christ. That faith can't save. And apparently, that's what Simon has. He's caught up in a lot of emotion. And he's mesmerized by the power. And he believes in his own mind, but it's not uh, saving faith. And very soon, that'll be evident for everybody to see because uh, the headquarters is going to send out Peter and John to kind of certify the work and make sure it's sound in practice, sound in doctrine, as their job is. What did Jesus say to the guys? He said, you guys are like the gatekeepers. I'm going to give you guys the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you know what is required for genuine salvation, and you know what doesn't stack up, which doesn't make for a safe life or a Christian life. So you will be able to tell people, well, that's in keeping with the gospel. Congratulations and welcome. But when somebody says, hey, I still live in sexual immorality, causing division in the church, you know, I, I'm going to jail for my second DUI because I'm unrepented and all of that. You can say, that's outside. You know, you got the keys. That's outside the kingdom. And so they're coming to do their kingdom work to make sure everything's uh, up and running uh, well, biblically, I should say. Now, something happens when they come that is going to be the catalyst to out uh, Simon for his inadequate faith. And so let's take a look at that, 14 through 17. So they come down amazed that Samaritans are Christians like the Jews are now. And when they arrive, they notice there's no manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They're like, what's up with that? And they lay hands on them. Now, this is important to know. So we've had Simon practicing his magic. 
Philip preaching the gospel, and now the apostles are here to do the inspection, note takers. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about this delay, because it's strange and it never happens again, and it never happens anywhere else, biblically speaking. (laughs) When a person believes in Jesus and is baptized in Jesus' name, they have the Holy Spirit immediately. You can't belong to Jesus and not have the Spirit. So in one sense, they have the Spirit. But for whatever reason I'm about to tell you, the Holy Spirit delays his manifestation of the gifts. 700 years, they've been in each other's throats. The Samaritans were mixed ethnicities. They had their own temple. They did their own thing. They had their own dialect. They hated the Jews. And the Jews hated them. There were two. It was us and them. But in Christ, it's us. The cross, Jesus' body, his death, he destroyed the walls of division socially, social statuses, education, rich, poor, white, black. Even it says in the Bible that in Christ there's not really male or female in this We retain, in Christ, I'm a Christian, we retain our gender because later he will say, these are roles for women, these are roles for men in ministry. And so we retain the distinction without the wall that causes the division. In other words, instead of saying, I'm white, I'm a male, I'm this, I'm that, or the other, I'm a Christian. So you have, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. If you're in Christ, that's it. You are a Christian and everything else falls under that heading. And so then that's why you have guys from a rehab program sitting next to CEOs. Because he's not a guy who struggles with alcohol. He's a Christian. And the CEO is not the CEO. He's a Christian. And in Christ, there's equality and dignity and equal worth and equal significance, equal value to God. There's no second class anybody. And so this is the idea here. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to hold off, making it obvious that they're saved, until the Jews come and lay their official Jewish hands on the unclean Samaritans, identifying them, saying, you're one with us. We receive you, Samaritans. And now, boom, the Holy Spirit manifests. Was it tongues like Pentecost? Probably. It doesn't say. But everybody knew because the Holy Spirit showed up and did a boom that said the Samaritans and the Jews are one. There's no more us, them, no more hate, division, bias, prejudice. Done washed away, destroyed by the blood of Jesus, the resurrection to the same Father from the same averted tragedy to the same purpose in life, to the same destiny, eternal life with Christ. And that's why he held back like that. So it's a beautiful thing uh, for sure. Contemporary. In a world that's more divided than it's ever been, in my lifetime, it's almost 100 years. <laughs> you have Christians 
I'm a Christian. I wear a mask. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I don't wear a mask. Don't like masks. I'm a Christian. I got vaccinated three times. I'm a... <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'll never get vaccinated. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. We're Christians who wear masks, who don't wear masks, who get vaccinated, who don't get vaccinated, who live in California, who move to Tennessee. <laughs> and notice I didn't say those who moved to Tennessee are Christians. <laughs> Even though they are. So send your email to Pastor Ben at, <laughs> at cctherock.org if you have a problem from Tennessee. And you, yeah, moving on. Let's do this. Let's finish up. Get back to our regularly scheduled program and find out what catches Simon's eye here and how he opens his mouth and lets all the world see, whoops, fool's gold. All right, so verse 18, is it up there? Very good. So Simon sees what's going on, the laying of an, on of hands and the, the beautiful work of the Spirit, and he wants that. So let's talk about that. Now Peter's rebuking, right? So Simon's outed because God loves him. That's what love will do. Love will say, hey, man, I see something in your life that's going to take you the wrong way and going to hurt you and destroy you. You need to turn around from that. That's loving. To not do that and know they're going off a cliff, that's hating someone. That's being more afraid. And what will they think about me? That's not love. That's cowardice. So God's not afraid to tell somebody, man, you call this fruit of a Christian life that believes and is baptized? Oh, Peter's going to tear him from limb to limb by the Holy Spirit doing that, of course. So, yeah, Simon's words give him away. From the overflow of the heart, your lips speak, Jesus said. And what his tongue reveals is as pathetic as it is ugly. So old habits die hard, especially when you don't have the Holy Spirit on board. So look at your verse 18 when Simon sees. He gets his eye on the miracles, not the Messiah. He wants, this is sick, he wants the power to be able to grant God's Spirit to whoever he wants to grant it to. That's the meaning of those words. As I will. Imagine if they love me then. Oh, imagine the awe, the respect that I can grant God's favor to whoever I want. So line up. And how much were you paying me? I got the power to give you God's favor with this hand here, sir. I think you meant to put a few extra zeros on that check there. Yeah, indeed, just terrible. G. Campbell Morgan called it a sin that has desire to possess spiritual power for personal ends. That's what's going on, which isn't too far from a lot of what we see on late night evangelistic television programming. So he jingles the money bag, makes his eyes super big, like, name your price, brother. Name your price, you know? And everybody's got a price. In, in Simon's world, everybody has a price. What's yours? Judas had one. 30 pieces of silver, boom. It's about uh, $1,500. That was 
the worst trade ever. Peter, what's your price? And Peter says, not only do I not have a price, but, and it's going to sound vulgar, sorry, but I'm quoting the Greek, to hell with you and your money. That's what it says in the Greek. And it's a nicer form of that in English. This is not behavior that accompanies salvation and conversion, sir. You're headed for hell. What a loving thing to say to him. Instead of patting him on the back, God loves you, man. His mercy's God, just so wonderful. He even receives a guy like you, silly guy. Yeah, you know, just whatever. Patting them on the back on their way to hell. They're called affirming churches. It just doesn't matter. This is who I am. I was born this way. This is what turns me on. This is how I want to live. The rest of the world loves it. How's God with it? He's cool too. We affirm you in a behavior that will evidences that there's no born again experience. That's bad. The basement floor of hell is reserved for men and women who, in Jesus' name, affirm somebody in a destructive lifestyle, letting them think they're cool with God, and then they find out at the end they weren't. That's going to be bad. So the rebuke. Let's look at the rebuke. May your money perish with you. Yeah. And then secondly, he says, you've got no part in this ministry. Oh, my word, you, you, you have no part in the Christian community. That spirit of yours, uh, you, it's outside. That's what unbelievers would say. So, so yeah, you're as lost as ever. Your profession of faith is a sham. Your baptism bogus, you know, and so you just have nothing. I'm excommunicating you before you join, just so you know. Your heart's not right with God. You don't say that to somebody who just got baptized and said, I believe in God. Your heart's not right. You're out of sync with him. He's on one page, you're on the other. He's doing one thing, you're doing your own. Get your heart right with God. Saying all the right words and doing, going through the motions. And then he throws him a lifeline. Repent. Change your mind of this wickedness. Calling it out. Nobody's going to repent unless they think they're going to hell. You have to tell them sooner or later. You have to. No one repents unless they think they're going to hell. So he has to tell them, you're headed for the southbound train, buddy. And so he says, perhaps God will forgive you for having such a heart. Perhaps. Oh, no, no, meaning if Simon will take the right posture, there's a maybe. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. God, he's always willing to forgive There's no perhaps there. God's willing. But is Simon ready? You see, that's what's going on here. For I see you're full of bitterness. Verse 23, you know what? You're jealous. You're bitter, you're resentful that some guys have bigger followings than you and have the greater power than you. And at the root of all of this is this bitter poison that resents other people having more favor than you. And you're still stuck captive to your sins because there's no power, right? 
And so, yeah, now the saddest thing, we'll just end with this, a cup, just a couple seconds here, 24 and 25, Spencer. Saddest thing of all. He says, man, man, pray to God. Maybe there's hope. You pray to God. Then Simon answered, you pray to God for me. The, brown, the drowning person needs to himself ask for salvation. Nobody else can. You can say, well, Billy Graham, pray for me. No, it's not going to work until you pray for yourself. This is not good news about this man. He wants, maybe he wants to hire somebody. Can I hire somebody else to pray for me? And here's what he's saying. Look at the prayer request. Pray for me. He doesn't say, pray for me. I'm such a wicked person. Pray for me that I'll turn from my sin. Pray for me that I'll become right with God, that I'll want to repent, that I'll want to leave my ways. No, no, no. Pray that nothing bad will happen to me as I continue in the exciting life that I wish not to change. That's what he wants. He wants to be relieved from the consequences of his own folly, the painful consequences. He's not wanting a change of heart. And so, yeah, harsh words are necessary in love, in humility, not in self-righteousness, not pointing fingers and not all of this, especially when we struggle with the same things. Because everybody here has a little Simon we want to be well regarded. We want somebody to say, ooh, oh, wow, right? And there's a degree of normalcy in some of that. But there's a line, a slippery slope. You know what Pastor Joe said to me about bowling a strike last week with that awesome sermon on the prodigal son? And we were debriefing afterwards. I <laughs> love that guy. And he was saying, uh, Pastor Ross, he goes, you know what the hardest part of it was? Afterwards. Oh, the feeling of, oh, God just did something really good and it's getting associated with me. And people are looking at me like, wow. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to process this, you know. Because it should all scare us to death when people mix up the goodness and grace and gifting of God with us and start to lean too heavy on that. There's the thank you and praise the Lord, and affirming, check, 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 cool. And then there's the work of the devil. We want to close on a happy note. Here's a picture of one of the king sorcerers in, formerly, in Hong Kong. He was in charge of the feng shui movement. It's a, like sorcery about balancing things and bringing, calling attraction to you. This guy made a fortune on it. He came to know the Lord, and out of his mouth he said, feng shui is from the devil. I was, I was being used of Satan. It's all sorcery. The only good thing about life is God and Jesus who he sent. <laughs> and, then he got, and then he gets baptized, and he changed his name to Peter. <laughs> And now, no one in the article, Christianity Today, 
No one in the article said they linked it together to this story. Oh, uh, why, of course he changed his name to Peter. Every time he's, he's called Peter, he remembers. I used to be Simon. Peter. Simon. Wow, that's another little thing in there. Because Peter is like Simon. You know, I used to have that name myself. You know, So it's, God can change anybody when we're willing to look at the truth and turn from our sins and trust in Christ. Let's pray. God, we look at you. We, we love you. We're just wowed by your word and how even something so extreme can speak to us in our hearts today. Help us to look within, do some soul searching so that we're not found falling short where it matters most. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.